Good morning. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Amen. Hey, uh, we had a baptism this morning at 9 o'clock, and it was so sweet. Uh, Clancy's little girl, uh, she was baptized. I don't know how old she is. But a year, maybe? Something like that? Yeah, she was so cute. No? Younger than that? Okay. I've, I got to go with the choir, right? Because they know that stuff. <laughs> Anyway, um, I, you know, just, I, I wanted to let you know a couple of things. So one of the things is that there's five places in the New Testament that say that uh, entire households were baptized. And that would include infant children, okay? And so it's really important if, you are, if you've been baptized um, for you to celebrate your baptism. I had a, a member of the congregation come up to me uh, a little bit older and, and said to me, Hey, my anniversary of my baptism is tomorrow, and I'm going to celebrate. <laughs> that was so exciting, right? And so I want you to know, if you, if you have a child, if you have a grandchild, you need to celebrate their baptism. Maybe, maybe even give them a gift on the day of their baptism. Um, you know, kind of think about that. Because this year, uh, it's April 9th for uh, Clancy and Mia and, her, and uh, Connor, her mom and dad. And, uh, and so, you know, next year on April 9th. Uh, we want you to talk about it often with your children and with your grandchildren and say, hey, I remember when you were baptized. I was there. I remember what a blessing it was because this is what keeps us connected with our faith, okay? It's really important that you do this, okay? Because otherwise, you know, people just kind of disconnect from the church and they, they, they lose their connection with the church, okay? Now, I'm going to read from Mark chapter 16. Verses 1 through 8, and this is from the New International Version. So when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, uh, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they could go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll away the stone? from the entrance of the tomb. But as they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go... Tell his disciples and Peter he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Now trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Okay. Now in the four Gospels, all four of the Gospels have Mary Magdalene going to the tomb. Uh, Mark adds Mary, the mother of James, and Salome. Matthew adds the other Mary, presumably the mother of James. Luke adds Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them. Okay? John speaks only of Mary Magdalene. I love that the women went to the tomb on Easter morning to anoint Jesus' body for burial. I love that they got over their fear and they shared the news with the apostle. I love that they got to be the first evangelists 
the first to share the news that Jesus Christ was risen from the grave. We respect that fear and trembling and the desire to say nothing. But we also celebrate the courage to overcome fear and the first proclamation of the gospel. Now, the angel says, you are looking for Jesus of, Nazarene, of uh, the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where, he laid, where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you just as he told you. Now, I think there's some significance of mentioning Peter here, okay? Um, Peter had denied Jesus three times, okay? In John 21, Jesus has a conversation with Peter where he gives him an opportunity three times to say that he loved Jesus. I think the two are connected in a powerful way. All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. There is not one of us who is able to reach heaven on our own, right? But Jesus Christ has made it possible for a new heaven and a new earth, not just someday, but today, right? For us to love our world, to serve our world, to care for our world in every moment of our lives, and for us to care for people as well, each of whom matters to God. We live in the already of the advancing kingdom of God. We live in the not yet of God's kingdom's fulfillment. So today I'm going to approach things a little bit differently, okay? Uh, we know that Jesus Christ has risen, and I want to celebrate that with you. I want to unpack eight specific prophecies of Jesus in the Old Testament. They include the prophecy that Jesus will be born in Bethlehem, the prophecy about John the Baptist and Jesus, the prophecy that Jesus will ride into Jerusalem on a colt or a donkey, that Jesus will be wounded by his friends, that Jesus will be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, that the Pharisees would purchase the potter's field with the money from Judas's betrayal, that Jesus would be silent before his accusers, and that Jesus' hands and feet will be pierced. We'll consider each one. And the odds of all of those happening. Now, there were eight specific prophecies of Jesus in the Old Testament, uh, suggested by Peter Stoner. I, I actually had a woman come up to me and said, I had Peter Stoner as one of my teachers. <laughs> Let me give you a brief biography of Peter Stoner. He was, uh, he was born June 16th, 1888. Uh, he died March 21st, 1980, so at the age of 79. He was a Christian writer and the chairman of the Departments of Mathematics and Astronomy at Pasadena City College until 1953. Then he was the chairman of the Science Division at Westmont College from 1953 to 1957. Now, there are many other prophecies in the Old Testament. Uh, one list has 55. Uh, one has 351. Another has 200 to 400, right? So we're not going to talk about each of those today. <laughs> <laughs> We'd be here a long time. But we will talk about eight. And some of you are doubtless familiar with these. Probably others of you, maybe not so much. Okay? So, the first prophecy is that Christ will be born in Bethlehem. It's from Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, 
Out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Okay, now think about this with me. And of course, this goes to the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, not his death, death and resurrection, but they all work together for God's good and for God's purpose. Micah wrote his prophecies about 750 to 700 B.C. So these are at least 700 years before Jesus was born. And his prophecy was specific. Out of you will come one for me who will rule, be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Now, Micah is naming one who will rule, one whose origins are of old. That sounds quite a lot. Like the pre-existence of Jesus as a full member of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, from before the beginnings of the world. Now, I want to say something here. No fact is going to convince you that Jesus Christ is Lord. Only the Holy Spirit can convict you of faith or draw you to faith. Only the Holy Spirit can convict you of sin. But really, you know, what, what are the chances of just this one prophecy coming true 700 years? Okay, think about that with me. We're going to increase the odds. <laughs> All right, that Jesus Christ will have a messenger who comes from before him from Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. Now, Malachi wrote his prophecies about 500 years before Jesus. He's predicting both John the Baptist as the forerunner of Christ and the Lord you are seeking, Jesus himself. That's stunning, right? What are the chances of this prophecy being fulfilled in these two individuals? But Isaiah also spoke of one who would prepare the way of the Lord. And this was from 740 B.C. to 701 B.C. The New Testament really emphasizes the prophecies of John the Baptist. You can find a reference to John the Baptist in Luke 3, referring to the Isaiah prophecy. If you go to Luke 1, you can find reference to the prediction that John the Baptist is in the spirit and the power of Elijah the prophet. In Matthew chapter 17, verses 11 and 12, Jesus says that Elijah has not already come and they did not recognize him. Well, John the Baptist certainly had the spirit and the power of Elijah. So just take these two, right? The prediction of Bethlehem as the birthplace and the prediction of John the Baptist and Jesus. What are the odds? What are the odds? But let's keep going. That Jesus will ride into, Palm into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday from Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. Righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. We talked about Zechariah on Palm Sunday. Now, did Jesus ride a colt or a donkey into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday? Matthew gives the fullest detail, suggesting that both were necessary because one would have wearied. Mark and Luke only mention a colt. Mark and Luke are not lying. They are reporting the event as they saw it, 
But look at the depth of this prophecy. These words were written 500 years before Christ. Who would have expected such a turn of events? Jesus is not adopting the ways of other rulers coming into Jerusalem on a stallion preparing for war. Right? Jesus is the upside-down way of Jesus. He knows that the last are first, and the first are last. He knows that the rich are poor, and the poor are rich. He knows that the poor in spirit, and those who mourn, and those who are meek and willing to be shaped into the image of Jesus, and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and those who are merciful, and the pure in heart, and the peacemakers, and the persecuted, they're the ones who inherit the kingdom of heaven. And again, we marvel at this prediction. And we wonder, what kind of math would it take to make it all come true? Well, so then the next thing is that Jesus will be wounded by his friends from Zechariah 13, verse 6. If someone asks you, what are these wounds on your body? They will answer, the wounds I was given at the house of my friends. Now, again, these words are 500 years before Jesus. But the prediction is chilling, right? Jesus would be wounded by the hands of his friends, not just Judas, right? Those specifically him. But the disciples, you know, remember, the disciples said they would never abandon him. All the disciples said they would always follow him, even to the death. Judas was the tip of the iceberg. Jesus said, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be persecuted. We read these words March four, Mark, on Mark 14 on Maundy Thursday. The disciples were in hiding after the death of Jesus. They feared for their lives. It was the women who came to anoint the body for burial. So, have you ever been wounded by a friend? You know how brutal that is. There's a huge gap between you, a lack of trust. Some of you have been wounded by a best friend or a spouse, or a mom, or a dad, or a son, or a daughter. And you know how hard it is to overcome those wounds. Now again, consider the, pro the, the chances of these four prophecies being fulfilled, but there's more. That Jesus will betray be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver from Zechariah chapter 11, verse 12. I told them, if you think it best, give me my pay. But if not, keep it. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver. Now again, these words are about 500 years before Jesus lived. Okay, I hope you'll read Zechariah chapter 11 because the language is highly metaphorical. The lambs to be slaughtered were people. They weren't lambs. And actually, the, the feminine is, uh, is used of the lambs. They were, they were used. And that ewes were not typically sacrificed for the Passover. Okay? So the lambs to be slaughtered were people. Zechariah is crying out against the injustice and the brutality of the leaders of Israel and the shepherds of the sheep. Okay? The people were being treated with injustice. And this would continue, right, in the Babylonian Empire and the Persian Empire and the Greek Empire and the Roman Empire, right? Josephus wrote that 1.1 million people were killed when Jerusalem sacked Rome in AD 70, leaving, including the destruction of the temple. 
Josephus wrote that many people were there for the Passover, accounting for the large number of deaths. Empires are oppressive. It doesn't matter what kind of empire it is. Kings and queens have power. Kings and queens will use their power to their advantage. People in leadership will try everything to keep their leadership. There is some thought that Judas was also a zealot, wanting Jesus to arm himself and go to war. And that's why Judas betrayed Jesus, among other reasons. Okay? And then the Pharisees, the sixth prophecy is that the Pharisees would purchase the potter's field with the money from Zechariah 11.13. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the handsome price at which they valued me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them to the potter at the house of the Lord. Now here's the text fulfilling the prophecy from Matthew 27, verses 6 through 10. The chief priest picked up the coins and said, it is against the law to put this into the treasury since it is blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. And this is why it has been called a field of blood to this day. And this is what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 pieces of silver, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. Wow. Whew. You'll notice that Je Matthew says Jeremiah and not Zechariah. There are several possibilities. There were three scrolls. If, if, if you think about the scrolls that were kept in the temple, they, their scroll of the, 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 the law, the writings, and the prophets, okay? And one possibility is that Matthew is referring to the scroll of Jeremiah, which included the writing of Zechariah. Another possibility is that this is a scribal error, uh, a mistake for Ereu, for Zireu, okay? The beginning of each name is very similar in Greek. But the prophecy is, again, chilling. We wonder how all six of these prophecies could be fulfilled in one man, okay? But then there's more, right? That Jesus would be oppressed but speak little during his torture from Isaiah 53, verse 7. And I know uh, Janae and Joy both mentioned this uh, at the uh, Good Friday service. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was like a lamb to the slaughter as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Wow, there are so many different accounts of Jesus refusing to speak during his trial, his torture, and his execution on the cross. To be clear, he did speak, but he spoke very little. He was silent during much of the trial, and when Barabbas was released in his place, he was silent. Yet he did speak to the crowd that came to arrest him. But when he was before Caiaphas, he spoke little until he was provoked to speak when he said in Matthew 26, 64, But I say to all of you, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. He did say those seven last words of the, from the cross, but he was largely silent throughout much of his trial, his torture, and his execution. And then there's an eighth prophecy. Okay, from uh, Psalm 22, verse 16. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands 
and feet. So we know that the wrists were considered a part of the hands in Greek culture. Okay, Had Jesus been crucified through the palms, the, the wounds would have just stripped out. Okay, they, they, would, they, they wouldn't have held him. So he was crucified through the wrist, which was considered a part of the hands. The Romans knew what they were doing. They pierced his wrists and his feet. So here's eight prophecies about Bethlehem, John the Baptist and Jesus, Jesus riding into Jerusalem, Jesus being wounded by his friends, 30 pieces of silver, the purchase of the potter's field, Jesus being silent, and the piercing of his hands and feet. Now just take those eight prophecies of Jesus. Stoner and a group of students came up with the calculation that in order for these eight prophecies to be fulfilled, the probability was 1 to 10 to the 17th power. Okay? Now here's a quote from Stoner in Science Speaks. Let's us try to visualize this chance. If you mark one of ten tickets and place all the tickets in a hat and thoroughly stir them and then ask a blindfolded man to draw one, his chance of getting the right ticket is one in ten. Now suppose we take ten to the 17th silver dollars. Does anybody remember those? And lay them on the face of Texas. They will cover the whole state two feet deep. Now mark one of those silver dollars and stir the whole mass thoroughly all over the state. Blindfold a man and tell him he can travel as far as he wishes in Texas. But he must pick up one silver dollar and say this is the right one. What chance would he have of getting the right one? Just the same chance that the prophets would have had of writing these eight prophecies and having them all come true in any one man from their day to the present time, providing they wrote using their own wisdom. Now, we know that the prophets didn't write from their own wisdom. They wrote under the power of the Holy Spirit who guided their words. And we know that there are many other predictions of Jesus in the Old Testament. Here are just 48. The nations will be blessed through Abraham's lineage. God's covenant with Isaac's ancestors. The nations will be blessed through Jacob's offspring. The scepter will come through Judah. David's offsprings will have an eternal kingdom. A virgin will be, uh, give birth and he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. The Messiah will end up in Egypt. Christ's ministry will destroy the adversary, Satan's work. Jesus will have a sinless, blemish-free life in ministry. The Messiah will be humbled in order to serve mankind. Jesus would predict, become the perfect sacrifice, the Passover lamb. Jesus would pre uh, preach righteousness to Israel. Jesus would teach in parables. Christ's parables would fall on deaf ears. The Messiah would be a stone that causes people to stumble. Christ's ministry would begin in Galilee. Jesus would draw the Gentiles to himself. Jesus would have a miraculous ministry. Jesus would be a gentle redeemer of the Gentiles. Jesus would be despised and rejected. Jesus would set the captives free. The Messiah will have a throne that is everlasting. The Messiah will bring an end to sin. Christ will be our Passover lamb. Like the Passover lamb, none of Christ's bones will be broken. The Messiah's blood will be spilled for atonement. Jesus will be lifted up and everyone who looks on him will live. Christ's resurrection is prophesied. 
The Messiah will be forsaken. The Messiah will be scorned. The Messiah's suffering will include thirst. They'll cast lots for Jesus' clothing. The Messiah will cry, into your hands I commit my spirit. Everyone will abandon the Messiah. They will all plot to kill God's anointed. God's anointed will not see decay. The Messiah will be abandoned by those who cl closest to him. The Christ will ascend to the heavens to distribute gifts. That Christ's thirst will be quenched with vinegar and gall. The Messiah's resurrection is predicted. The Messiah will conquer death. The Messiah will be mocked and abused. God will raise up a prophet like Moses. God will raise up a faithful priest who does God's will. The Messiah will judge the world justly. The Messiah will have all authority over judgment. The Messiah will pour out his spirit. And the Messiah will usher in a new covenant. And keep in mind, these are all in the Old Testament, these predictions. Every single one of them. Now again, I only know, I know that the Holy Spirit, only the Holy Spirit can convict you of faith, of sin. Only the Holy Spirit can draw you to faith in Jesus Christ. But I believe everything Jesus said and did. I believe Jesus is fully God and fully human. If you're a skeptic today, or you're on the edge of belief, or wondering, or questioning, or if you're hurting and wounded, maybe if you said the words, Christ is risen, and he didn't, you know, he was risen indeed, and you weren't sure you meant him. If you suffered a huge blow in your life that's taken your breath away, you can come to Jesus. He's gentle and lowly in heart. He loves you. He died for you. He rose from the dead for you. He prays for you. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, John says that we have an advocate in Jesus. An advocate in Greek is parakletos, one who comes alongside of you, one who prays for you, one who holds you up when you cannot hold yourself up. And friends, none of us can hold ourselves up. We all need Jesus Christ and his saving love. Will you receive him today? Will you place your life, and your faith, and your trust in Jesus Christ today? I'd be honored to talk to you about anything on your heart. I'd be honored to let you ask questions and walk with you. I know our other pastors, our elders and deacons, our greeters and ushers would be willing to do the same thing as would many in our congregation. If God's tugging at you, do not let this moment pass you by. Come up after the service. Talk to me. Talk to somebody. But let's pray together. Gracious God, we are all broken and sinful people. And you alone are the answer to our need, our hurt, and our sin. We pray this morning for all who said the words, Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, but struggled to mean them. We pray that we might come around them, love them well, care for them, and hold them up when they cannot hold themselves up. All of us have been in that place before. We pray for those who did say the words, Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. May we be humbled, because only Jesus Christ gave us the opportunity through his grace and mercy. We pray for the needs of our congregation, our community, our world. Guide, God, guide us through these challenging times and keep us focused and fixed on you. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.